them, what's the greatest question you've ever been asked? I'll give you one minute while I get set up. All right, that feels about a minute to me. So good morning, my name is James. I am, I am the student minister here. Someone's called me a pseudo-minister already. Um, it's a pleasure and an honor to be able to share from God's word um, to you today. Now, you'll find it really easy to follow along if you keep your Bibles open on that page, on Matthew 27. It's on page 810. And there's also an outline for those of you who like to take notes as well. Let me pray as we come to God's word. Awesome and holy God, I pray that you would open our ears, that we would hear your word. I pray that you would soften our hearts, that they may be shaped by you. May your spirit move and stir in us to respond to your word. May you help me speak in a way that's clear and honoring to you, that Jesus may be proclaimed, that he may be exalted, and that he is seen as the Lord and Savior of our lives. That's in his name I pray. Amen. Now, I wonder what you just said to the person next to you. I wonder, what is the biggest question you've ever had to face? You know, regardless of age, whether you're a kid or you're 50 or over 50, at every stage of our life, we face questions, right? So what's the biggest one that you've had to face? I remember when I was in year 10, um, I had to choose subjects for VC, which is the same as your HSC up here. And I was thinking through, oh, the subjects I choose here will determine what I can and can't do in uni. So I did what's called the Asian Six. It's two languages, two science, and two maths. It basically means it makes it open. I can do any course I want as long as I got the score. So when I got my ATAR, I thought, well, what do I do with the score now? I didn't quite get the score to be a physio. Maybe I should become an engineer. Maybe an OT. As some of you know, I ended up looking at feet, becoming a podiatrist. You know, when you went for a job interview and you prepare for that job interview, what questions go through your head? What questions do they ask you? You know, what's your biggest weakness? And I'll explain a time where you've had to manage conflict. You know, some of us weren't born here. I'm sure the question you would have faced was, well, where should I pack my bags and go? Which country should I move to? Where is the best spot for our families, for our future, for our kids? For those of us who are married husbands, when you were thinking whether you should marry your wife or not, what went through your head? What were the questions that you faced? Can I deal with her in-laws? I wonder whether her cooking would get any better. My wife's cooking is very good. Wives, one of the biggest, you would have, qu qu biggest questions you would have faced was, will you marry me? I wonder what series of questions would have followed on from this. What would go through your head as your boyfriend turned fiancé asked you, will you marry me? 
I don't know what it's like for you, but Melody said this during our marriage prep when she was asked, why did you want to get married to James? She said, well, he asked, and I thought, why not? I'm a blessed man. (laughs) As you can see, just briefly, life throws at us many questions. Some of them, they're they're trivial, they're not important, but some questions can be completely life-changing. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I say to you, today, I'll give you the greatest question you'll ever have to face. It is the most important decision that you'll make in your whole life. Whether you're rich or poor, young or old, Regardless of where you've come from, everyone has to face this one question. It doesn't just change your life here and now, but it changes it for eternity. Look down with me at verse 22. This is the question. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? What are you going to do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? You know, I believe that question that I've just asked you, is the most important one that you'll ever have to face. It's more important than what you want to do when you grow up, more important than what's best for your family, or what job or career you want to take. It's more important than who you want to spend the rest of your life with. This one question is the greatest question ever asked. What are you going to do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Now, the context of this passage is, this is one of the final trials that Jesus has. The Jews have held an illegal trial. They've come up with false accusations against Jesus. They want him dead, so they've brought him to Pilate. Pilate is the governor assigned by Caesar to rule over this region in Jerusalem. He was the most powerful man there. He was the supreme judge and the executioner. Now, this is my first point. Jesus is innocent. Read with me verses 11 to 14. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, And the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Let's put ourselves in this story. Imagine for a moment that you are Pilate. You know, and you've got Jesus standing here right in front of you. You know, he's already been beaten up. And you ask him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he just replies, Yes. I wonder how confused you would be. Okay, right. So you're the king of the Jews. You, you're their king, right? But it's the Jews who've handed you over to me. How can you be the king of the Jews? Let's read on in verse 12. When, his, when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to one single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. The chief priests and the elders would have been outside Pilate's place. They wouldn't enter it because it was a Gentile home and this would make them defiled. But, you know, there's lots of hypocrisy here and we'll see more and more as we keep reading. They're outside hurling accusations at Jesus. Pilate stands there and he's completely amazed. Why would Jesus not reply? Why is Jesus silent? You know, this would not have been Pilate's first trial. He would have done this on a daily basis. He would always have people be brought to him, charges laid against them. He'd give them an opportunity to speak, to defend themselves. People would probably tell the truth or lie just to get out of trouble. But Jesus, he stands there silent. Why wouldn't Jesus say something? 
Is he confused about what he's supposed to do? Why not go, well, they need to prove their accusations. I haven't done anything wrong. Show me the evidence. Jesus has done nothing wrong. There would be no credible evidence. There is no credible witness to testify against him. He could have proved it right there and then. Go, look, I am the Son of God. Here, I'll do this miracle for you so you'll see that I'm not guilty of anything. And this is chapter 27. This is almost the end of the book of Matthew. If you read through the past 26 chapters, Jesus is always talking. He's never silent. Why is he silent now? There's a card game called Mafia that I generally play at camps and things like that. Um, It's a card game where in between rounds, everyone closes their eyes. Some people are assigned to be Mafia and some people are just um, normal people. And what happens, the Mafia's goal is to kill the normal people. And the normal people's goal is to figure out who the Mafia is. I remember one time we were playing and there was a few rounds that had gone by. I was a Mafia a couple of times and there was one time I was just a normal person. Right? I wasn't guilty. I didn't do anything wrong. When everyone opened their eyes, someone goes, nah, I think James is the mafia. I thought, oh, I'm innocent. Right? I didn't do anything wrong. But you should have seen the defenses I came up with. No, nah, it wasn't me. I heard someone moving on that side of the room when they said, mafia, open your eyes. It wasn't me. It, look, I know Melody died in the first round, and I probably would have killed her first too, but everyone knows that, so someone's trying to frame me. Or those two over there, they're working together way too well. They obviously are in it together. They're both mafia. Let's kill them. You know, Jesus here is completely innocent. He's standing here in front of Pilate, who has the authority to kill him. Pilate is trying to get him to say something. Why won't you defend yourself? Why is he silent? Jesus' time had come. He knew this was the plan. The salvation plan of God that he would come to die and to rise again for the sins of the world. He knew this was going to happen. That the king of the Jews would die for them at their hands. He is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who must suffer and die for the sins of the world. This is a passage from Isaiah 53. I'll just read it. Um, off the screen for you. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was punished. Jesus fulfills this prophecy from Isaiah. He is a lamb that's brought to slaughter who did not open his mouth. For the sins of man, Jesus did not respond to the accusations. Imagine once again if you were Pilate. It's a pretty hard decision, isn't it? You've got silent Jesus in front of you, won't say a word. He hasn't done anything wrong. And you've got the Jewish leaders outside yelling in. He can't let Jesus go, otherwise the Jewish leaders would just get angry. So what does he do? Let's read verses 15 to 18. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one of 
Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest they had handed Jesus over to him. It was a Roman custom. So back then, the Jewish people used to live under the rule of Rome. It was a showing of grace to the Jewish people every year that the Roman governor would give a prisoner back to them. Pilate's quite clever. He's quite a smart man. Look at verse 17. When it says the crowds had gathered, this refers to both the chief priests and the elders and normal people, the normal Jewish people. Pilate knew that it was just one week ago that they paraded Jesus into the city. They laid down palms on the ground for him to walk on. They knew that people loved Jesus. And he also knew that it was the chief priest who didn't like him. Pilate was pitting the people against its leaders. So he chose the worst criminal there was, Barabbas. Matthew here calls him well-known. But it would have been like if I presented to you someone off the Underbelly series or Ivan Milat in front of you, the one who killed all the backpackers. You know, everyone would know who this person was. Everyone would know that this is a bad person. In the other gospel accounts, we found out that Barabbas was a thief, an insurrectionist, a writer, and a murderer. And this is actually Pilate giving the people a chance. He's offering them a chance to do the right thing. Release Barabbas or Jesus. It's kind of weird and absurd that this is even happening. Why would you free Barabbas when he should be punished for his crimes? Shouldn't you free Jesus? He's done nothing wrong. Pilate is hoping the crowd would do the right thing and make the right decision. Jesus, who is called the Messiah. He's telling them, you've got a criminal or you've got the Messiah. Who would you choose? Verse 18, read with me verse 18. For he knew it was out of self-interest that they handed Jesus over to him. They were jealous of Jesus, the chief priest. Jesus was the new kid on the block. He was getting all the attention all the likes, all the follows, the chief priests are now being forgotten. Take a moment. Who would you choose? Imagine you're in the crowd. Say, I'm Pilate, I've got Jesus, and I've got Barabbas. Who would you choose? You look at Barabbas and you go, oh, he's a pretty bad dude. And you look at Jesus. He looks a bit ordinary. Would you second-guess yourself and think, well, if he's innocent, what's he doing up there? While all this is happening, Pilate's interrupted. Look, at me with, uh, look with me at verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent this message to him. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Pilate's wife would have been there the whole time. She would probably have been off to the side somewhere looking at all the things that had been going on. She would have heard everything and now she sees Barabbas and Jesus and her husband and she's scared. Imagine a courtroom today as the judge is there about to hear the jury give their decision. Imagine if he just, you know, got a message on his phone, got a WhatsApp message on his phone. It's strange, right? You wouldn't be interrupted at such an important point. But the message that the wife brings is important. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. We have no idea what she dreamt. 
but it was enough for her to break every cultural tradition, to interrupt a trial, to hold off a verdict. Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Peter, one of his closest friends, rejected him three times while he was being on trial with the Jewish leaders. The chief priests and the elders, whose job was to point people to the Messiah, wants him dead. Pilate, a Gentile governor, knows he's innocent, and now his wife gives him her thoughts. Now, though Jesus' own disciple and God's own people won't speak up about Jesus, God uses a Gentile, a pagan, the wife of the governor to declare that Jesus is innocent. You must feel for Pilate. You know, if it's not hard enough as it is, you've got a crowd who's angry, you've got Jesus who's not talking, you've got Barabbas who's about to get released, and now you've got trouble at home with the wife. Let's read verse 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. This slight interruption by the wife gives the chief priests and the elders enough time to filter through the crowd, to convince people, ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. Ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. The chief priest's role was to point people to the Messiah. They will point people to the righteous one. They were to point people towards Jesus but instead they're pointing people towards Barabbas. They're supposed to point people towards righteousness, but instead they're pointing people to unrighteousness. Do you see how evil this is? Do you, how do you see Jesus? Is he a Jewish carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago, a peasant who couldn't stand up for himself? Was he at the wrong place at the wrong time? Maybe it was a case of mistaken identity, are you amazed that Jesus would stay silent? My second point is Jesus saves Barabbas and us. Let's read from verse 21. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. This is a huge injustice. An innocent man and a criminal. And, but the criminal gets to go free. A week ago, they all welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. They threw a parade for him. Now he's not worth having around. They chose Barabbas. And it shows how much hatred and animosity there is towards Jesus. The crowds will prefer a criminal to their Messiah. The leaders, they wanted the attention for themselves. They wanted the power. They wanted the glory. They wanted the honor. They don't want to take orders from Jesus. They don't want to listen to Jesus. They want to rule their own lives. And that sounds a bit like us, doesn't it? We don't want someone to come in and tell us what to do. We want to tell us what to do. We want to make our own decisions. We want to answer our own questions. You know, today's mantra is, if it feels good, do it. Do what makes you feel happy. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone, just do it. You know, in this case, it was better for people to have a criminal than to have Jesus. Imagine if you were Jesus. 
Imagine you're with, you are Jesus right now, standing where he stood. The crowds are yelling for you to be crucified. It's been a pretty bad day, hasn't it? Your friends have all run away from you. One of them sold you out. You've been beaten up, and now you're facing death. Imagine Pilate's shock. You know, I just let Barabbas go. That's unjust. Now you want Jesus crucified as well? Doesn't make sense. Read with me verse 23. What, why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. If you read through the gospel accounts of the trials of Jesus, he was never charged with anything. The Jewish leaders in the crowd just wanted him crucified. They don't care for what reason, they just want him gone. But this made me think, why not just kill Jesus yourself? You know, if you got Judas to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver, couldn't you just get a hitman, maybe 50, 60 pieces of silver, you know, Assassin's Creed style? Why crucifixion? Why involve Pilate? I think they wanted Jesus crucified because it was the most shameful and humiliating way to die. It was a mockery of someone. It was a mockery of Jesus. Only the worst of the worst criminals die on a cross. It brings dishonor and shame. You're naked as you carry a cross through the town onto a hill where they'll nail you to that cross. You know, death penalties nowadays are done by firing squads, lethal injections, or hanging. They're never, ever done in public. You know, they won't be done in public out of respect for the person who's facing death and also for their family. Imagine a prisoner on death row being told to carry a noose through Kingsgrove and then hang him in public with no, with no clothes on. Imagine the shame it would bring to that family, to that person. And that's what they wanted for Jesus. Anything that Jesus had done in the past would be completely wiped off because he died on a Roman cross. You know, the Jews were looking for someone to come and free them from Roman rule. So if Rome, their oppressors, were to crucify Jesus, how could Jesus be their saviour? How could he be their Messiah? The Jewish leaders wanted to taint to damage beyond repair Jesus' reputation. No one would ever take Jesus seriously if he died on a cross. This is Lance Armstrong. Most of you probably would have heard of him. He's won seven Tour de France titles. He was a world champion, a cancer survivor. And before 2012, he was the image of cycling. He was the poster boy for cancer survivors. And he even started his own charity. But when news broke that he cheated the whole time, taking performance-enhancing drugs, it became a disgrace. No one wanted their company aligned with Lance Armstrong. No one wanted their products endorsed by him. Everyone distanced themselves from him. He was bad press. The Tour de France titles he won and the years that he raced are completely erased from history. No one talks about them. No one speaks the years that Lance raced. And when people do speak of Lance Armstrong now, it's always about his drugs, not his cycling, not even his cancer. His image is completely tarnished. And that is what the Jewish leaders want. They want to erase everything that Jesus had done. All the miracles won't matter because he died on a cross. doesn't matter that he fed 5,000. doesn't matter that he walked on water. doesn't matter that he raised someone from the dead. He died on a cross. 
he can't be the king. He is not our Messiah. It is impossible. He died on a Roman cross. Jesus is irrelevant. Not a good day to be Jesus, right? He's done nothing wrong, yet people want him dead, and they want him to tarnish his image forever. But imagine for a second you're Barabbas. Imagine for a second that you're standing over here, that you've been arrested before, you've done crimes, you've killed people, you've caused riots. You're not a nice person. You've been found guilty and you're up for crucifixion as well. No one really cares for you. No one sheds a tear for you. You're a criminal because you've hurt people. You've destroyed families. You've destroyed lives. When news broke that you'd be punished, people went, good, he deserves it. Our society don't need people like him. But imagine you were Barabbas and you woke up that morning. The Roman guards drag you out in front of Pilate. You have no idea what's going on. You step out, you see this massive crowd in front of you. And you see Pilate's addressing them. And you look across and you see Jesus. How confused would you be? You would have heard that Jesus was a miracle worker. You would know that he's healed people, that the blind saw and the lame walk. Pilate's asking the crowd, Barabbas or Jesus? And you'd think, me or the Messiah? What's he even doing up here? Why is he up here with me? Then all of a sudden the crowd start yelling your name and they want you to be freed. And Jesus is handed over to the Romans and you walk out free. You didn't have to do a thing. You didn't have to beg your case. You didn't have to plead, ask for mercy. You just got to walk out free. It's frustrating because I read this story and I think, how could God let this happen? How could God let this happen? Why did he not rain down fire from heaven and just crush Barabbas for good measure? You know, show them who's boss. How could God let this injustice happen? Well, I think it's because God planned all of this. He planned that it would be Jesus, his one and only son, who'd be a substitute for Barabbas, that Barabbas would get to go free, and that Jesus would take the punishment. But also God planned all of this, that Jesus would die on the cross for our punishment, to take our sins so that we may go free. Jesus is innocent, yet he is punished. And the injustice that we see in Pilate's courtroom This is God's justice enacted to us to save us through Jesus. The injustice we see in Pilate's courtroom, it's God's justice enacted to save us through Jesus. This is the gospel message. This is what church is all about. This is what being a Christian is all about. That Jesus has taken our place on that cross. We are like Barabbas. We've done wrong. We don't honor God the way we should. We don't live the way we should. We don't worship him the way we should. We've all lied, stolen, cheated, be envious, lusted after things. We've all rejected God. All of us have rejected God and all of us deserve judgment just like Barabbas. Just as the crowds would reject Jesus and choose Barabbas, we reject God and we choose rebellion and we choose to rebel against him. You know, God has the right to punish us for our crimes. He has every right to punish us. 
But instead, Jesus takes that punishment for us. He takes that punishment so that we can walk free. When Jesus took Barabbas' place on that cross 2,000 years ago, he didn't just save Barabbas, but he would save us 2,000 years later as we trust in him, as we call him our Messiah. You know, what happens to Barabbas happens to us, but in a far greater way. Barabbas got to walk free that day, got to walk out and be a free man, dodged a bullet or the cross. He dodged punishment, but he would still have to face God. He would still die and have to face God. The Bible says if you acknowledge that Jesus took your spot, that he died for you, that he took your punishment, that you turn to him and you trust in him, then you're saved from his punishment. So the big question, the great question, what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? What are you going to do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Knowing that you and Barabbas both stand in the same spot, that you are both criminals in the eyes of God. What are you going to do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Knowing that he's taken your place, knowing that he's taken your punishment. Would you accept him as your Lord and Savior? Yeah, I urge you to take this seriously. This is the biggest question you'll ever face in your life. This is eternal God, eternal life with God or eternal darkness away from God. He died for you, every one of you, on that cross. It doesn't matter what you've done, how bad you've been, he died for you so that you can be saved. He died for you so that you can be free and be his. I urge you to acknowledge your wrongs in front of God, that you've rejected God, to trust in him. My last point is everyone has to make a choice. Read with me verse 24. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. You know, Pilate's dug himself one hell of a hole. He should have just released Jesus at the very start, dispersed the crowd, but it's far too late now. He's released Barabbas, and the crowd want Jesus' blood. They want him dead and crucified. You know, Pilate was accountable to Caesar to keep the peace in the area. Just collect taxes, make sure everyone's happy, and make everyone go on their way. But Pilate was worried about himself. He was worried about how he would stand in front of the Jewish people and also in front of Caesar. You know, if he executes Jesus, he lives with the guilt of sending an innocent man to the cross. If he doesn't, he'll face the crowds and the riots. You know, if the riots happen, he'll get in trouble for it. But Pilate washes his hands in front of the crowd and says, I am innocent of this man's blood. But I wonder, is he really? Is Pilate innocent of Jesus' blood? Can it be that easy to just wash your hands and be clean from Jesus' death? You know, it was the crowd that wanted Jesus dead anyway, right? Pilate just gave them what they wanted. 
But it's not that easy. It was Pilate's authority, Pilate's power to do what was right. You know, he is guilty of Jesus' crucifixion as the crowds are also guilty. You know, when it comes to Jesus, everyone has to make a decision. You can't sit on the fence. Everyone has to make a decision. Pilate chooses himself over Jesus. He chooses his own comfort, his own securities over that of Christ Jesus. You know, the choice you make has to be your choice. You have to think for yourself what you're going to do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah. You know, growing up in a Christian family with Christian parents does not make you Christian. You have to make that decision yourself. You need to see the evidence about Jesus. You need to see for yourself whether he is really the Messiah. You know, we all have a decision to make. This account of Jesus in front of Pilate shows us the depravity of man, the perverted nature of our justice system. An innocent man is wrongly charged, a guilty man goes free. An innocent man dies, and a guilty man lives. But this is God's plan all along, so that we who are also guilty can go free. We who are also guilty may live because Christ Jesus has taken our punishment. What are you going to do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Will you be like the crowds who want to live their own way and reject Jesus? Will you be like Pilate and just, you know, I don't mess with Jesus, Jesus won't mess with me. Or will you be like Barabbas? Accept Jesus as taking your place and walk free. I don't know many of you, But I urge you, don't leave here today without seriously thinking about this question. Don't leave here leaving the future and eternity up in the air. If this is all new to you and you have questions, that's really good. Questions are good. Ask the person who brought you along today. If you just walked in through the doors by yourself, ask the person next to you. And if you're both new, ask someone else. Come speak to me or speak to one of the leaders, Pastor Jono. Don't leave here with questions unanswered. Find out more about Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Let me pray. Thank you, God, that from the very beginning, you planned to save us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for giving your one and only Son to save us. Thank you for your grace and mercy that you've shown to us even though we reject against you, even though we choose to rebel against you, thank you for your grace. May you help us understand more of who Jesus is and what we ought to do, knowing that he is the promised Messiah. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.